I want to read I want to read a quote for you about the importance of this day because the title of this morning's message is the importance of the resurrection. Two quotes in particular. It says this, just as the heart pumps life giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns, without which none of the other truths would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside with other human philosophy and religious speculation. John Locke, the 18th century British philosopher, said, Our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that His being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. And John had alluded to that. I think it was John or Izzy. They were like right on point this morning. Everything that Jesus said is proven by the resurrection. Because He rose again, everything He, could, he said is true. And because of it, because it's the cornerstone of the gospel, the resurrection has been the target of Satan's greatest attacks against the church. For 2,000 years, the enemy has been trying to get us to believe the resurrection did not happen. That's how important the resurrection is. Because if it could be proven that it did not happen, then there's no need to be here this morning. And so I'm going to, I think we're in good company as we look at 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul explains to us the very truth and the fact of the resurrection. But before we look at it, let's pray one more time. Lord God, we are again gathered this morning to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, who has given us new life for those who believe in him. And I pray, Lord God, that the power of your spirit would speak to every heart this morning, believer and non-believer alike, Lord, that we might leave this place transformed, leaving this place different than when we came in committing our lives to you even more or for some of us the first time. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, turn there with me. We're going to cover the whole chapter uh, in little bits and pieces. I'm going to skip through it. All right, so let's start at the very beginning. Again, the importance of the resurrection. I'm just going to read the first two verses showing that the resurrection is central to the gospel. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he writes this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." So from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul is telling the church that this truth, the gospel truth, the resurrection, which we'll see in a few moments, is central to the church, as I read quotes earlier from other people. Here the scripture itself says this is important. It is a a truth for every individual believer, and this message, he says, has been received by them, which means it's been preached before. It's not something brand new to them. They've heard this before. Over and over again, here in verses 3 and 4, if you look back at the text with me, the Apostle Paul says, according to the Scriptures. 
according to the Scriptures. Look at this, verse 3. For I declare to you as of first importance what I also received. So he received a message that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Something to note. When we read this, we think, yeah, he's talking about the New Testament and the Old Testament. But in the first century when this book was written, 1 Corinthians is believed by many scholars to be the very first book written in the New Testament. What is he talking about the Scriptures? Because the other ones aren't even written yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. It is the Old Testament, he's saying, that told us that Jesus was to die and to be buried and to rise again. If you remember Jesus when he talked to his disciples on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24. Uh, Look at verses 25 through 27. Luke 24. Jesus stresses this point to them. He says this. He says, some of those... Uh, oh, see, let me go down here. He says, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe. Remember, Jesus was walking with two disciples, and they did not know it was Jesus. He says, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, Old Testament. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, Old Testament, and with all the prophets, Old Testament, He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus was showing them, just like the Apostle Paul echoed, as we read a few minutes ago, that the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, prophesied of this very thing. The Messiah was to come and to die and to rise again. Jesus preached on his death over and over again to the disciples. Let's just look at a few places where he does this, beginning in Matthew 16. Verse 21 through 22. And again, the reason I'm showing you these things is because the Apostle Paul says these things that we have received. It's already a message that is going out. It's not something brand new that the Apostle Paul is making up. Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. Jesus says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Go to chapter 17. Look at verses 22 through 23. And while they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. They understood. Jesus is telling them, Hey, I'm going to die. So when we get to the, to, to the uh, Corinth, this message has already been proclaimed. In the Old Testament, Jesus himself has been telling them he is going to die. And you remember the angels? What did the angels say to the women when they came to the tomb, as John alluded to in his prayer in Luke 24, verse 6? He reminds them of this very same thing. He says, when they come there, he says, he's not here, meaning Jesus He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. The resurrection is central to the gospel message. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus over and again, over and over again, told his disciples. The angels are reminding the women 
this truth. Even his enemies knew this was true. In Matthew 27, verse 62 and 63. After Jesus had been crucified, look at what's said of him. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am going to rise again. Everybody knew about this message. The Old Testament prophets, Jesus explaining it to his disciples and anybody that was around as he taught, the angels reminding the women and those who sought to kill him knew of this message, which is why they were doing everything they could, these enemies of his, to cancel that message out. Hey, you better protect and seal that tomb in case somebody steals his body and says he rose from the dead. And that's exactly what they said. So going back to our text now. There's so much more that can be said, but we don't have time. We have to hunt for Easter eggs. All the kids will be mad at me. In 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 5. So knowing this message First century, remember, he wrote this in the first century. A lot of people will go, well, the Bible was written by men hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, after Jesus had, had uh, died. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 5. Talking about after Jesus has risen from the dead, he says, And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. If the people that heard this didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, the Apostle Paul's going, hey, there's people saying here that said they saw him. Go ask them. Go ask them. If he really didn't rise from the dead, just go ask the people that said they seen him. Or actually, here's a better thing. Go to the tomb and get the body and drag it out, and Christianity would be over. They never could do that. And then you come up with it. Well, they stole the body. Really, they got by armed guards and stole the body. And they were willing to die for that. They knew he was dead, but they were willing to die for it. Oh, dogs ate the body. There's another one. Well, we just grabbed the bones. Somebody show here's the Jesus' bones. Nobody's ever come up with the body. Ask the witnesses that have seen it. The resurrection is gospel. It's of vital importance to us. So he says, we've received this message in verse one and also i want to point out in verse one he says in which you stand the resurrection is central to the gospel number one because the church received its truth and the church stands on its truth stand meaning to make firm or establish it's the foundation of our faith each and every one of us if you call yourself a believer in christ You must believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You stand on that very fact. If you don't believe he rose from the dead, then I will go out on a limb, not really, on Scripture, and say you are not a believer. It's the very firm foundation that which we stand on. Not only that, verse 2, look at verse 2 again. He says, by which you are saved. If you do not believe this message, you are not even saved. That's why I can say that. You could say, well, hey, don't judge. Well, I'm just going by what Scripture says. If you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
you are not saved. It is the truth. Salvation is not just an intellectual exercise. Look at the rest of this verse in verse 2. He says, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. People say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But it's not just an intellectual belief. The Apostle Paul says you need to hold fast to that belief. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And we could go through scripture after scripture and talk about it. You can't just have this intellectual belief. There is a total transformation of your life when you begin to follow Christ because he's risen from the dead. Again, go to the grave of any other religious leader. Muhammad died at the age of 61, and they now go to his grave to mourn him, not to celebrate his resurrection. No other religious leader ever claimed to rise from the dead. They are dead. Jesus Christ is the only one who is risen. And we are saved by that very truth. In verses 3 and 4, we can be assured that God's word is validated by this truth. Because he rose from the dead, we can trust everything else that he says. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, For I delivered to you as a first importance which I received. This is the gospel truth. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. That is central to the gospel message. God's word is validated because Jesus prophesied that he would do that, and he did. If he didn't, where's the body? Nobody's ever been defined, ever been able to find it. People will say, oh, well, they went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> well, remember what tomb he was, was? They knew what tomb he was in. What was it? Who knows? Somebody. Joseph of Arimathea, Remember? He said, I want the body, and he put him in his tomb. So they obviously knew what tomb he was in. So that just blows that theory. Well, they stole the, that he was in. They went to the wrong tomb that morning. The women were so distraught. You know, women in directions. They went to the wrong tomb. Okay, hello. Woohoo. <laughs> but they, they knew where they were going. Come on. They stopped and asked for directions. It was the guys that didn't. They just ran straight to the, they would have went to the wrong tomb. The women were the ones that found it. Come on, work with me, people. This is gospel truth. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He goes, he wants to actually go, well, what if, it, what if it's not true? Look at starting in verse 12. He says this, if it is not true, he says, now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So apparently in the church, some were saying there is no resurrection of the dead, that you die and that's it. But look at what he says. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, and this goes to what I mentioned at the very beginning, the importance of the resurrection. He says if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been risen because he obviously died There's no resurrection of the dead. Even Jesus Christ does not rise. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. We are still in your, or you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Let me point out just a few things about this. If the gospel is not true, the gospel of the resurrection, he says this, Christ is not risen, right? Nobody rises from the dead that not even Jesus Christ has risen. The preaching of the gospel, what I'm doing right now, is just empty words. It has no meaning. We are wasting our time. We should go out to the soccer fields and watch our kids play soccer. Because this is useless. Faith in Christ is empty, he says. It's meaningless. It has no value. And he says, and guess what? If you believe in Christ, you're still in your sins. Your sins aren't forgiven because he didn't rise again from the dead. And those who died in Christ, those believers of old, they're dead. They're never to wake again because there's no resurrection. And he says, you know, and Christians are to be most pitied. Because they're wasting their time. Think about that. If this isn't true, what are we doing here? Have you ever thought about that? If you, do you really believe in the resurrection of Christ? If you don't, then what are you doing here? It's a waste of time. A matter of fact, look at verse 32. The Apostle Paul says, you know what? If this isn't true, this is what we should be doing. He says... If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He basically says, just go live it up. If the resurrection isn't true, Jesus was a liar. Your preaching is worthless. Let's just live for today. There's no reason to be here. He's being honest. Think about it. If there's no profit in what we are doing here this morning, then what are you doing here? What am I doing here? Obviously, most of you believe there is great profit in this. But I ask those of you who are not believers, why even do it? To make somebody happy? Well, with something we're supposed to do, it's really a waste of time. And I myself am a liar because I preach about God rising from the dead, according to the Apostle Paul. So why would you listen to me, a liar? You can just leave right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So the good news is this. It is true. Look at what he says. Going on, starting in verse 20. After saying all this, if Christians would be the most pitied, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Despite all what he just said, if it's not true, then let's just all go do what we want to do. We're wasting our time here. Instead, he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. And now we get to all the good stuff. But because the resurrection is true, what are the results of the resurrection? Because we truly believe that Christ rose from the dead, because he really did rise from the dead, he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ all will be made alive. Because Christ rose, every dead person will rise again, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting punishment. The fact remains, each and every one of us will rise again. Where will you spend eternity? Look down at verse 45, because, or 26, I'm sorry. Because the resurrection is true, the dead will rise to life. Verse 26 tells us, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death will be abolished. That is great truth. Nobody after the the resurrection will die again. Death is toast. History. I love this in Revelation chapter 20. This is the depiction at Christ's second coming of when death is destroyed. Starting in, in verse 11 of Revelation 20, this is what John writes, what he sees in this vision. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. I like this part. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Their history. There, or this is the second death of the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Go down to chapter 21 now. Look at this. Then, so after death is abolished, this is the blessed assurance of the Christian. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell with them. This is our hope, Christian. Or better yet, our assurance. Look at this. And God himself will be with them, or among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. Why? Because it's been tossed. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. That is death being totally abolished and thrown away. That is a result of the resurrection of Christ because he defeated death. The results of the resurrection, again, is the dead will be raised to life. Death will be abolished. And guess what? It doesn't end there. We believers will be totally transformed. New bodies, right? Who wants a new body, right? (laughs) <laughs> look at this I mean I'm just not going to go there anyway look at um, starting in verse 42 of, go back to our text in 1 Corinthians 15 look at verse 42 here's where it talks about the total transformation because of 
the resurrection. Let's not lose the focal point. Because of the resurrection, this is what's going to happen. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So when we die and Christ returns, if we are dead, we will rise again. Those who are alive will rise with Christ and meet him in the air. First Thessalonians chapter 4. He says here, this body will rise again. It is, it is sown a perishable, perish, perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also will be a spiritual body. Now let's stop there. Let's look at the four things that he says the body is. He says the body is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. So this new body that awaits the resurrected believer, number one, is imperishable. That means sickness, decay, and deterioration or death will no longer affect our bodies. We'll no longer lose eyesight. My hearing shall return from, you know, putting big old bass speakers in my car when I was a teenager. I'll get my hearing back. I'll be able to see. That will no longer, no more sickness. Do you realize, just imagine that you're never going to get sick again. Your body will no longer decay or deteriorate because of the resurrection of Christ. It will be glorious he says, meaning no more shame because of sin. Our, our, our bodies will now be honorable before God because sin will no longer exist. It says they will be powerful. Powerful in the sense that it will, be, it will no longer suffer the frailty and temptation. You will no longer sin. All of those things that you don't want to do that you still do won't even tempt you any longer. Sin will no longer have a hold on you. And it will be raised spiritual, he says. Meaning there will be no more limits to time and space. Now, I don't know what that means, but I can't wait to get it. And when will this happen? I've alluded to it once already at the second coming. Go down to verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Going back to that, your perishable body. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die, is what he's saying, but we will be changed. In the moment, or in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. <clears throat> but when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death will no longer exist. He says it again for us, because we're going to have new bodies that will no longer suffer the ramifications of sin. Why? Because of the resurrection. And look at verse 55 through 57. He says this, O death, because of all this. He says, O death, where is your sting? 
or excuse me, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory is what? The resurrection. Christ defeated sin, defeated Satan, defeated death, and has risen again. Therefore, we too will rise again. Sin will no longer exist. Therefore, until that day comes, what do we do? Because we're like, well, I want that right now. I don't want to sin anymore. I want a new body. I want to no longer cry or worry or mourn. What do we do until then? Look at verse 58. He gives us an answer. We'll close with these last few verses. Therefore, meaning because of all that he's just said, because of the resurrection of Christ, because you're going all that you are going to inherit as a believer in Christ, therefore, my beloved brethren, he gives us four things. Number one, be steadfast. His encouragement to them is remain dedicated to the Lord. Despite all that's going on, despite all your agony and suffering, be steadfast. Engulf yourself in the love of God. Grow in the love and knowledge of Him until He returns. That's what we should occupy ourselves with. Be steadfast. Secondly, he says, immovable. Be set in your faith. Because of the assurance of the resurrection, because of the assurance of your future, be immovable. You can rest assured that Christianity is true. Not because I say so, but because Christ rose from the dead. That's why it's so central. And that's why so many people are trying to disprove the resurrection. Because if they can disprove the resurrection, then all that I said earlier is true. There's no, law, there's no reason for us to be here. Go and follow whoever you want. But Jesus, the only man who rose from the dead, the only religious leader who did that, is worth following because he himself is God. Be set in your faith. Be immovable. Because of the resurrection, remain dedicated to the Lord. Be set in your faith. And thirdly, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So what does that mean until he comes back? Serve God with abandon. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Contrasted with, remember what he said earlier? Eat for those people that are, or if the gospel is not true, then eat, drink, and, and die. Just live for today. But because the gospel is true, Christian, abound in the work of God. Let us serve God with all we have. Let's stop sitting on the sidelines of the Christian life. Let's get moving for the kingdom of God. There are men and women out there whose souls are dying and being lost without Christ. What are we going to do about it? We have this great message, this great hope and assurance. And my challenge to you and myself is what are we doing about it? Are we sitting on the sidelines Are we letting all of our hobbies overtake us and waste our time? What are we doing with it? He says, always abounding in the work of God. Paul stressed this urgency to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5. I want to read that to you. I love what he wrote here. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 14. He says this. 
For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, this is to the church, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. His sense of urgency is, because of all Christ has done, let's wake up and let's stop wasting time. We need to look at our lives. Are we doing things that are not having an effect on the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying, hey, you can never do anything that has nothing to do with church. No, I do it all the time. But let it not consume us. Let it not take the place of our relationship with Christ, the time that we spend at church, growing and fellowshipping one another. The days are evil. I hope you realize that. When we get to heaven and we stand before God, He's not going to ask me, you know, hey, how, you know, how far, what level did you get on your FIFA on your iPad? That's what I spend my time doing. That's why I say that. <laughs> Whatever it is you do. Hey, what level did you get to on, you know, your PS4? You know, are the junior hires in here? I don't think so. Dang. Whatever it may be. What is it? You guys, all, we all have hobbies, right? There's nothing wrong with hobbies. There's nothing wrong with sports and activities. But is that what you live for? Is that what you're consumed with? Let it not be said of us as believers that that's what, we consu- that's what we're consumed with. You know, I mentioned soccer earlier, and I only say that because as we were driving into church this morning, my wife, Mindy, looks over and goes, they're playing soccer like this morning, and it's Easter. I'm like, but the world doesn't care. It doesn't mean anything to them. It's just another Sunday. But to the Christian, it should mean something to us because we believe it. The world's doing what they want because they don't believe it. They should just live and eat for tomorrow they die. This is all they have. We look forward to a great and blessed hope, a blessed assurance And again, Paul stressed this urgency. So therefore, until the day comes, remain dedicated to the Lord God. Be set in your faith. Serve God with abandon. And finally, know this. Going back to our text in the very last phrase. He says, know that your toil, meaning your work, is not in vain in the Lord. All that you're doing for God, Christian, is not in vain. It is not worthless It is not fruitless. Service to God is meaningful and fruitful. God will bless you for your service to Him. Every moment that you've given to God, He will restore and repay you more above and beyond that you can imagine, Scripture tells us. Although nobody may ever see all that you do for the kingdom of God, God sees you. It is meaningful to God and God alone. Or more importantly, to God not just God alone. It could be meaningful to the church as well, but you know what? 
even if we were doing it just for God, that makes it meaningful. And God will reward you for your service to him. Again, we could go through sections that talks about the great rewards that God has for those who serve him. But just know these things should sustain you because the resurrection is true. Therefore, fellow believer, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Amen. Praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before I close and the worship team comes up, just let me give this challenge to each and every one of us this morning. If you are a believer in Christ and you believe in the resurrection, I pray this morning that you will recommit yourself to serving God with abandon. Make serving God your number one priority in anything you do, whether it's at work or play or in the church. Make it your number one thing. Again, knowing that it is meaningful and it will be fruitful. Maybe not in this life, but for sure in the life to come. Secondly, for the believer that has only that, or the person that has only that intellectual belief, I pray this morning that you are challenged to go further and have a real, all-consuming relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not just a verbal belief. It's a transformed heart that lives for Him. That is what true faith is. And I pray that you believe in the resurrection. Again, that is central to our faith. Thirdly, to those this morning who maybe don't even believe and are here for I don't know whatever reason, I pray that the truth of the gospel would convict you to to go to Him, to cry out to Him, to give your life to Him so that you too will rise again to eternal life. And not be eternally separated for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Lord, for more importantly, the power of your resurrection that confirms your word. That confirms all that Jesus Christ had said. That demonstrated that he was from God. That demonstrated that he is God. And confirms to us that the scriptures are true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Lord God, forgive us for our unbelief, any of us in this room, for the unbelief that we may have in any aspect of our lives concerning you. And I pray, Lord, that we as believers would rededicate our life to you, rededicate our service to you, that we would stop wasting our time and serve the kingdom of God that is promise to come again and for those lord as i mentioned earlier who do not yet truly know you maybe have an intellectual understanding of you maybe even with their mouth have confessed jesus christ as lord but in their hearts they haven't submitted and surrendered to you i pray this morning that they would give their life to you that would cry out to you and ask you lord god to be their lord and savior the resurrected king Lord God, help us to live in light of your return. Help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work in the Lord is not in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.